Well, Patty, I really enjoyed our interview today with Caleb Avery over at Tilled with his Payback as a Service. I'll be honest, I learned a lot. I didn't even know really what we were going to be talking about until we started the interview. So, Well, you know, I'm like you. I, I, I looked at their website and I was like, Payback as a Service? <laughs> right, know? right. And it's but funny, it's- I... I actually dialogued with his team before and I uh-huh. crafted the questions and I was like, oh, I, okay, I think I got it. And then within about a minute of, of his interview, I right? was like, nope, I didn't get it. I still didn't get it. So so we went off I know, script. And I had a, it was good. And he, yeah, he, we went off script, but he really, I thought he, he laid it out really well. Yeah, he did a fantastic uh, job. I learned a lot from this interview and I think yeah. uh, I think our lis- listeners will too. Yeah. And I learned a lot from your, um, from your questions from the field, James. You want to tell yeah, everybody we, about that? Yeah, we just talked about selling card, not present merchants, uh, specifically with a focus on surcharging, compliant surcharging and or cash discounting with ACH as an option. But the big takeaway is just you need to do it. You got to start in 2022. It's not that hard anymore. The technology is there. It's not that difficult. Um, And then, Patty, tell us about the Insiders Report. Uh, We're just reporting on um, some litigation in the field. Um, You know, there's a bunch of lawyers down south that are taking on have been taking on payment processing companies over their contracts and yep. their and their charges and it's just really worth uh keeping keeping a finger on the pulse of that absolutely well good stuff so this episode is brought to you by lavu um lavu is a processor agnostic point of sale system for restaurants with a focus on cash discounting and pay at the table and all of that at the end of the month we actually already recorded it we have a great interview for you at the end of the month about specifically how to sell cash discounting to restaurants um, but let me just say, if you want to get more information about LaVu, you can go to LaVu.com, L-A-V-U.com, or uh, you can actually text. They set up this really cool service where you can just text the word LaVu, L-A-V-U. Just text the word LaVu to a short code. It is 63975. So text LaVu, L-A-V-U, to 63975. Um, go ahead and text that or visit LaVu.com. This is a big opportunity and one you're going to want to take advantage of. With all that said, let's jump into our interview now with Caleb Avery. Okay. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey everybody, Patty and I are here today with Caleb Avery. He is the CEO at Tilled. How are you doing today, Caleb? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing, James? I am doing great. Uh, so we are here to talk about the exciting world of Payfax and ISV relationships and all kinds of cool stuff. Um, before we dive into that, though, Caleb, tell us your story. You and I don't believe you've ever spoken, so I don't even know your story. So how did you get into this crazy industry? How did you end up uh, at Tilt? Yeah, so between my sophomore and junior year of college, I started going door to door selling payment processing services to small business owners. So I think nice. probably like a lot of your listeners, I started out uh, as an agent going out selling payments door to door to small business owners. And that was the first couple of years of my career in the merchant services space. But over time, I started getting brought in on consulting opportunities for larger software companies. So think, you know, dental software platform processing a couple hundred million dollars a year uh, in payments volume. And for a lot of these guys, they were really trying to think through the transition of how to go from Stripe or Braintree to really start monetizing the payments flowing through their platform. And so at the time, you know, we were hooking them into gateways like an NMI or an authorized.net, helping them negotiate their ISO referral agreements. But the big issue that a lot of these guys were facing was the onboarding solutions that they had from you know, these processors. And so we were really trying to help these guys think through how do they take advantage of the benefits of the payment facilitator model. And that consulting work was really what first got me introduced into the PayFAC model. So, so talk to us, and you've already alluded to this a second about the about the onboarding. Maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on, you know, what that challenge looks like. But in general, for ISVs, 
what do they want today from a payment provider, these independent software vendors, and, and specifically, you know, kind of how this, how the Payfax services fit some of that need? Sure. So, you know, for a lot of these, these ISVs, the first thing that they're looking to do is get payments integrated into their product. You know, they, they offer scheduling solutions and they're trying to expand their core product to integrate payments into their solution. I think that's where Stripe oftentimes really starts to, to come into play where they're looking for great developer tools and they want to get up and running quickly to integrate payments into their solution. And so that's where I think a lot of ISVs start their payments journey is just looking to get payments quickly integrated into their product. But a lot of ISVs reach this point in their journey where they have enough payments flowing through their platform where they really want to start monetizing the payments that are flowing through their systems. And that was where I was being brought in as a consultant. I think that's where the opportunity is for a lot of agents and ISOs that, that are out there where you know going out and talking to startups is, is not really going to make you any money and isn't really the best place, in my opinion, to, to start. But is these ISVs are really scaling up and thinking through, you know, how do we generate revenue off of the payments flowing through their platform? They need a partner that can offer them, you know, a lower price solution uh, than they have uh, with something like Stripe, but they also need technology. You know, they need boarding tools, they need payment gateways, they need chargeback management solutions. And so being able to bring all of those pieces uh, of the puzzle to, to the table is really key for solving the problems that these ISVs are, are looking to, to solve for. So, so tell me, if you don't mind, Caleb, I was looking at the website just before we got on, and mm -hmm. I, I was really struck. I have to admit, I had never heard the concept of PayFact as a service, although I've heard of everything else as a service, so it didn't totally surprise me. But, you know, for others like myself out there, can you kind of explain what is it that TIL does that's different from what a traditional um, processor or ISO might do? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you think about the, the payment facilitator model, you know, Stripe, Square, Braintree, PayPal have really made the, the model famous. And one of the nice things is that there's really different rules established by the card brands governing the onboarding process for, you know, in this case, sub-merchants mm -hmm. under the, the PayFAC model. And so it allows for this instant digital boarding experience for, for sub-merchants. And that's really, you know, I think one of the, the reasons why, you know, the Stripes and the Squares of the world have, have really come onto the scene and, and really, you know, made a pretty big name for, for themselves. The problem, though, historically has been the process to become a PayFAC. And so, right. you know, historically, that was a two-year multi-million dollar process uh, mm -hmm. for a payment facilitator to go through the, the full registration process to build out all of those capabilities. And when you look at what we're doing with PayFAC as a service, we're taking that two-year multi-million dollar process and bringing that down where your average software company can leverage the benefits of the PayFAC model in about two or three weeks with no upfront costs, without hiring, having to hire a team, without having to take on the liabilities uh, associated with being a PayFAC. And so the, the as-a-service piece is really where we're handling all of the underwriting, the fraud monitoring, the chargeback management, all of the compliance aspects on behalf of our customers and allowing them to really focus on their core product and not payments. Can you, so, you know, so, before, I'm sorry ahead. to cut you off there, Pat, I know you have a follow up there, ahead. but I just want to dig into this a little bit more, Caleb, because again, I feel like there's so a lot of people, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, most people in our audience are like, PayFAC, I've heard that before, you know, but, you know, I think most in our audience would probably think of a PayFAC would mean you can onboard a merchant really easily with a simple web form instead of a big merchant right. application, but they may not really understand why. 
So can you talk a little bit more just about the payback model in general? Why do the car brands have these different rules? What is the additional risk that's assumed? You know, talk to us a little bit more about the, kind of the nitty gritty of like how this works, if you would. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, under the, the payment facilitator model, the payback is going through a very extensive uh, registration and vetting process with sponsor bank, with the acquirer, getting registered with the, the car brands. And they have to prove that they have the technology, the processes, the personnel and the procedures in place to underwrite merchants, uh, to have ongoing fraud monitoring, uh, you know, technology processes and procedures in place. And they're getting registered as what's considered the, the master merchant. And so that concept of the master merchant is, is really important because when you think about the traditional ISO model, every merchant that's, being, uh, that's getting set up to process payments has their own merchant ID. They're the merchant of, of record uh, and they have their own merchant ID, which comes with a very extensive vetting process based on the rules and regulations that have been set up by the, the card brands. Whereas under this payment facilitator model, once the payback goes through that registration process to become the master merchant, there's a much easier set of guidelines in place for that sub-merchant onboarding process, which is what facilitates the instant digital onboarding experience that you were alluding to. Whereas, you know, ISOs, I think we're all familiar with the, the kind of five, six page PDF documents and collecting, you know, driver's license, voided checks, previous processing statements to be able to, to onboard merchants. Whereas, you know, in the payback model, you have an, an online digital form. Typically there's no supporting documentation and it really can be an instant process where like in our model, about 80% of merchants are approved instantly. And so they can start processing payments, you know, in 30 seconds after submitting their application. It's not, hey, we'll get back to you in a week once we've keyed in your PDF application and someone's manually reviewed it uh, and you go through this, this whole manual, you know, ISO boarding process. So just to, just to clarify for my own sake, if you would, um, what is, there must be some sophisticated underlying technology that allows you to take these people these accounts on without doing all of that background analysis? There definitely is. I mean, we spent the, the, the better part of the last three years building out the core technology behind Tilled and, and really well over two years before we even processed our first transaction. So, you know, certainly a, a pretty extensive technology platform behind what we do. We also integrate into a lot of third-party systems that have their own set of APIs for us to run you know, soft credit checks and bank account verifications and TIN checks and, you know, check against OFAC and, and match list. And so we're plugging into a lot of these third-party databases via APIs so that in real time, we can still run the necessary KYC and KYB checks on merchants. But instead of, you know, a merchant filling out a PDF, an individual typing into a database, and then, it, you know, going out to run the check, a merchant's filling out an online form that gets sent into our API. We're then pinging these third-party API services to determine whether we can approve these accounts in real time so that we can really offer that instant boarding experience. So how does then the, um, the model compare to say like a Stripe? I mean, you're still basically a payfac like a Stripe is, but you're just uh, then offering that through third parties? So the difference between, you know, Tilled and, and Stripe from a, from a business model perspective, I think everyone's familiar with the 2.9% and 30 cent pricing model that, that Stripe uh, employs. The, the difference here at Tilled is that we really think about ourselves as a payments infrastructure solution. And so we're offering interchange plus buy rates, just like you'd get from a traditional okay. processor. And then there's typically a rev share component. And so we're giving a pass through of our wholesale 
interchange plus buy rates to the, the ISV or the software platform who's okay. then going out and setting the rates for their merchants. And right. so, you know, take a gym management platform, they're then taking that interchange plus rate and they're deciding what the price point is to their set of sure. merchants, whether that's interchange plus or flat rate pricing. Right. And typically we're going to rev share uh, the difference between that price that the merchant's paying and then that wholesale cost of, of processing. And so we're really enabling these software vendors to take advantage of the pricing models that the legacy processors have been using right. you know, for, for decades, right. but combine that with you know, much more modern technology, a la okay. someone like a Stripe. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, super interesting. Super interesting. So, you know, a lot of these, and I guess, and again, you've done such a great job explaining this. I appreciate the detail, you know, but even kind of digging a little deeper as maybe an example, let's say we have a company that provides, you know, you mentioned scheduling. So they provide scheduling maybe for consulting or something. Uh, maybe it's a, an attorney or whatever. And so they they have this software that they're providing to attorney offices, let's say, mm -hmm. and they want to be able to enable those attorneys to be able to accept payments through their scheduling software. Um, and so what they might do is they might go out to the attorneys and say, hey, you can turn on uh, payment acceptance and we only charge you 3% flat rate. And meanwhile, they're setting this up through Tilled. And so you're providing it to the software developer at, you know, cost plus, you know, whatever. And so there's an, there's a, uh, you know, an amount of margin there that's created. So now in mm -hmm. addition to the software fees, every time that attorney has a client that processes a payment, the software company is now making a residual in effect, just like an agent would make. Is, is that kind of an accurate description of what you're saying? Absolutely. And I think what's what's pretty interesting is that for certain software companies, depending on their vertical, they can end up making two to five times the amount of margin on payments yes. than they are in their, their core software. Sure. I think, you know, Toast and MindBody are, are great uh, examples of this, but really almost any vertical software yeah. uh, company, the, the amount of residual uh, or margin that, you know, they, they can stand to, to make uh, from payments is, is pretty sizable. Uh, and I think a lot of these companies, especially that are coming off of Stripe or Braintree, don't right. really realize, you know, how much money they're, they're leaving on the table. I think when you think about, um, you know, a company, you know, maybe 700 attorneys processing like $100 million in transactions, the question is always, well, how much money, uh, you know, can, can we generate? And, right. you know, oftentimes we're seeing that there's about 80 to 100 basis points of margin uh, for a lot of these vertical software platforms. And so on that $100 million in transactions, you're talking $800,000 to a million dollars of potential, you know, gross margin uh, on these transactions, which is, you know, a lot of money uh, right. for, for a lot of these platforms, especially ones that are thinking about, you know, raising venture capital, or maybe they're in between right. rounds. If right. you can go double or triple your margins, you know, that's sure. pretty enticing to, to investors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you find that, um, do you find that there's challenges, you know, people are going to see, okay, I mean, I've been using Stripe, let's say as an example, and I'm, you know, totally integrated with them. Um, now it's time for me to, to transition how big of a deal is that? Because obviously, you know, from a programming perspective, they're going to have to rebuild a lot of integrations and mess with your API and all of that. Um, I'm just kind of curious, like, is, is that is that a pretty big roadblock or is it kind of like, well, we're going to make so much money, it's a no brainer. Like, what have you seen there? So I think historically, when you looked at a lot of the options that, that people had available, if they were going to go in and integrate into Card Connect or WorldPay or, you know, TSIS right. ProPay, you were likely looking at a four to six month process to go from Stripe onto whatever the, the new system right. was. And, you know, what we've done at, at Till uh, to, to the point that we were making earlier, you know, we, we spent several years uh, building out really what we would consider best in class payments 
uh, you know, APIs and, and technology to the point where that integration, that, that transition from Stripe uh, over to Till, you can realistically get done in less than two weeks. Uh, and so I think what historically was a pretty big roadblock yeah. for, for ISVs, uh, we've now really made really a no-brainer. And so if you can make an extra, you know, million dollars a year and it's going to cost you two weeks of, uh, right, right. you know, development effort, no it's pretty hard to argue that that's not, yeah. uh, you know, worth doing. Yeah. And when you think about, you know, ISOs uh, or agents looking to go sell uh, integrated payment solutions to, to ISVs, I can imagine if you're selling the, the APIs, you know, from a lot of these, these legacy processors, like that's a pretty difficult sale. Right. Uh, and that was what I was doing prior to, to founding right. Tilt. I was trying to resell, you know, TSIS and First Data and WorldPay and right. these solutions that like you were trying to convince the ISV that it was worth it because there was this big carrot. There was this residual. Right. But they needed the to get, you know, two full-time developers and pay them for three months to make it happen. Which and is that's a really insane. hard sell. <laughs> that's a really hard yeah, sell. $60,000, right? you know, so yeah. yeah. Um, okay. One, one last question I have kind of off the wall here about Stripe. I'm just curious. So one of the other things I'm sure you run into with a lot of ISVs is that they do some type of subscription or repeat or recurring type of payment where this card information, the cardholder data is actually like stored on Stripe. Mm -hmm. I would imagine there, you know, do you have a good solution to that? Or is that a pretty big issue of like, you know, yeah, that's great, but we can't like lose all of this recurring revenue and try to get it back. Or right. what have you seen with that? You can actually transition tokens from from one pro provider to another, and so you know we have our own in-house level one certified gateway, and so we're actually able to receive tokens from you know really anyone, whether it's you know Stripe, Braintree, WorldPay. We're, we're going through a process right now with WorldPay transitioning tokens over from a platform that had about six thousand tokens, uh, you know, on on WorldPay. Wow. And you're right; it's a big hurdle. You know, they don't yeah. want six thousand cardholders to have to go through the process. Of, of re entering the data. Yeah. And so you need, you know, a level one uh, provider to be able to receive the, um, you know, file transfer mm -hmm. from uh, the existing solution. Now, it, it's not overnight. It's not like, you know, you just right. send one email and five minutes later you have the tokens. It's definitely sure. a process to, sure. to go through that can take, you know, a couple of weeks, but it's not an insurmountable wow. uh, hurdle with, with most providers. Well, wow, that's just, just, that's just a quick, I'm sorry, James, I, but yeah, I just want to. Uh, the two weeks that it would take to get the to migrate the credentials is on top of the two weeks to get get, get up, or is it sort of like coincident? <laughs> the reality is that the two weeks is more like emails back and forth. The actual okay. like technical work is all of about an hour or two on their okay. side and an hour or two on our side. Um, it's really, you know, you got to email someone and then you got to get on the phone and then you got to sign a document and then you got to yeah, wait sure. five days you know, right. for support to, to get right. back to you. And right. um, the, okay. the, the okay. timeline is is yeah. typically in parallel. Right. Um, gotcha. And I would imagine that Stripe and, and other providers are not like super excited to help you to in this endeavor. Yeah. <laughs> they know they're losing the business. Like, it's not like they're just jumping out of their seats to say, gee, what can we do to help you guys tell right. you would absolutely love for our customer to, you know, transition uh, over uh, to you. But I, I think the reality is, you know, Good, good companies and good providers realize that if you make it miserable for your customers on right. the way out the door, like the word gets out. Right. Uh, and I think sure. if you're if you're holding your your customers and their data hostage, it ultimately makes it harder for you in the sales process yeah. because they're going to go tell their buddy and they're going to be like, ah, you know, when we were going through this with WorldPay, like they drug it right. out for three months and it was a nightmare for right. us. Versus like, oh man, WorldPay was fantastic. Right. Uh, and so you know, I think 
providers have to realize that like word gets out around, you know, how you're sure. handling your, your migrations and, and that customer data. Yes. It's really your customer's data. I mean, right. that's, right. that's my perspective. Right. Uh, I agree. I agree. Okay. So, well, this has been fantastic. So let's transition now. Let's talk about ISOs and agents. So our audience, um, I want to start with kind of more of a sales marketing type of question here. Uh, you obviously have a lot of experience breaking into the ISV, you know, marketplace. And, you know, I think one of the obvious questions is like, how do you find them? Where, you know, you mentioned it's like, well, they need to be at a certain stage or whatever. And I know you can't share all your, all your uh, secrets here, but can you give us a little bit of an insight of, you know, where would you, how would you tell ISOs and agents and say, Hey, this sounds awesome. I would love to develop some relationships with ISVs and maybe even work with Tilde on that. But like, how do they go find the ISVs that are, that are in that position where it's a good time to have that conversation? Certainly. I mean, you know, a couple of different ways you can do it. I think, you know, if you're a, an agent that's going door to door and you're out on the street, you're walking into, you know, liquor stores, dentists, you know, restaurants, whatever, what, what systems are, are the merchants using that you're walking into and, and experiencing? And so, you know, if you can yeah. walk in and say, Hey, you know, I've seen three dentists that are using, you know, your, your dental software, I would love to, to be able to, to work with you on an integrated payment solution. Maybe you notice that they don't have a card present terminal. Uh, maybe you have an in where you go in and you, you talk to them and the merchant says, Hey, yeah, we key in all of our transactions because our, you know, dental software system doesn't actually offer card present terminals. Okay. Well, that's a great opening for you to be able to reach out to that dental software company and say, Hey, you know, talk to one of your merchants. They were frustrated because they didn't have this solution. I actually have a solution for you. And so that's, that's kind of one potential opportunity is just, Hey, you're going out boots on the ground right. and you see, you know, an opportunity. I think for us, we've seen LinkedIn to be a pretty tremendous channel yeah. uh, for, for us where we're just advertising, you know, the solutions and kind of offering up our, you know, insights and, and expertise. And I think, you know, agents and, and ISOs have the ability to, to do that by starting to, to advertise, you know, integrated payment uh, solutions, because the reality is ISVs are looking for these solutions. They're frustrated right. with the existing solutions that they have, uh, you know, whether it's Stripe, Braintree uh, or the legacy processors, like they're frustrated with the current solutions that they have. And, and LinkedIn is a tremendous channel, as I imagine, you know, you would agree to, to drive, yeah, sure. uh, you know, lead flow. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Okay. So then tell us about, you know, how you would work with these agents. So let's say we have an agent or an ISO and they happen upon one of these opportunities, they reach out and they very quickly realize that, you know, getting them to integrate directly with first data may not be in their best interest, right? So they want to reach out, uh, you know, again, I know you can't divulge all the details here, but talk a little bit about the economics and, and, and also what kind of service you would provide to help facilitate these type of transactions. Yeah, certainly. And, and so, you know, from a sales support perspective, I think, especially for a lot of agents and ISOs where maybe it's their first you know, ISV sale, we're happy to work with you and get on every call with that ISV to help sell them and get them over the line. If you can bring us in, you know, qualified leads, we're happy to be that resource to really help you get the sale closed. It's not like we're expecting that our partners are just bringing us completely closed deals. That happens. Right. <laughs> and, you know, we appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but that's not how it has to, to work. Uh, as far as the economics and the way that the, the commissions work, you know, we're offering the, a, a lifetime, you know, residual share to the, the ISOs and the agents that are bringing us deals. And so it's not like, hey, here's a thousand dollar, you know, Amazon gift card. Th thanks for bringing us a deal. Like, no, you're going to get a share of every payment that's processed, uh, you know, through these partners. And we've already got a couple dozen, uh, you know, ISOs and, and agents that are signed up as referral partners uh, with Till. And it's a pretty big channel. 
uh, yeah. for us already. And so, you know, we know that we have the, the personnel and the tools in place to be able to support our partners going to, to market. We can help you develop, uh, you know, collateral and think through, you know, your, your outreach strategies, but it's, it's definitely designed around a partnership mentality where we all share in the upside of the deals, you know, that you can bring to the table. Sure. And, and I think obviously it goes without saying here that, you know, your model is, is predicated on the ISV making a good amount of money. So obviously this is not a traditional merchant account. You know, they're not getting a huge percentage of gross margin because a lion's share of that, I imagine is always going to go to the ISV, but you know, it sounds like, you know, we're talking about bringing on ISV where there's going to be potentially, you know, hundreds or even thousands of merchant accounts. And so the initial volume is going to be pretty big and it's probably going to be growing over time. And so getting kind of a smaller piece of this really, really big pie is better than getting no piece at all, I guess is the idea, right? Well, absolutely. And I think that's a great way to think about it where, you know, maybe you're only earning five or 10% of the, the residual, but if that's, you know, 10% of a hundred basis points on a hundred million dollars, you know, that, that may be more money than you're going to make going out and closing, you know, 300 merchant accounts, uh, you know, on your own. And so I think right. that's one of the things that I don't think a lot of agents and, and ISOs understand is that, yes, it's a much smaller, you know, piece of the pie, but it's a, it's a substantially larger pie uh, that you're you're breaking off a piece of, and so you know it's realistic for you to get you know five ten thousand dollars a month just from a single uh, you know referral deal once they fully ramp up. Right, right, yeah. love it. So I know a lot of our uh, listeners are going to be interested to learn more. I think especially, I think this is one of those ones that people will probably store away and then they'll come back to it when they get that first ISV deal. And like, wait a minute, I remember this episode, this guy named Caleb. <laughs> so uh, tell us, where should they go to learn more about you and about the company uh, when when the opportunity presents itself? Certainly. Um, you know, you can definitely find me on, on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, we're, we're certainly active there, both me personally, as well as the, the company. You can find us on our website, www.tilled.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter uh, at Get Tilled. Um, so, you know, anyone that's that's looking to, to board more ISV business and really expand their, their portfolio that way, we would certainly love to, to chat with you and help you find a way to, to break into the ISV market. And for those that are listening and can't see your uh, fantastic shirt you have on there, Tilled is T-I-L-L-E-D, right? Awesome. Thanks, James. Awesome. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it, Caleb. Thanks so much, Caleb. Appreciate it. Thanks. So, you know, Patty, uh, talking about our sponsor, LaVu, and their processor agnostic point of sale, um, for a long time, I thought you can't sell cash discounting to restaurants. Right. One of the big reasons was tips, you know, well, you can't charge a non-cash adjustment, so this is not going to work. And I really think LaVu came up with kind of an ingenious solution to this problem, which is, of course, you can do pay at the table, but if not, we're going to save you 80% instead of 100%. Exactly. And if you want to save the extra, you know, 20%, just buy a tablet. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's basically exactly. all you got to do. Yes. And then you can have pay at the table, your your weights, you know, the, the wait staff's going to love it, the merchant's going to love it. Right. And of course, the ISO and agents are going to love it because right. residuals would be nice. Right. And so I think they've done a really good job, you know, kind of behind the scenes. They've also made really good reporting along these lines because yes, yes. one of the issues with doing this is obviously then your batches are going to be a little bit odd because you're you're pulling right. this money that actually wasn't collected. And so some of that gets a little bit off, but the way that they've set up the reporting, it makes it very clear to the merchant. Everything still settles nicely. It works with the bank account. And then the merchant can look at that report and see, okay, here's the extra revenue that was collected. Here's the fees. And so here's what I saved. Um, and it just makes it really, really clear to them about kind of how much revenue they were able to generate to offset uh, the fees that they're being charged. Yeah, it's really cool. I th you know, I would encourage everybody who's listening to go to lavu, 
lavu.com. That's L-A-V-U.com. Or else you can text the word lavu to 63975. That's L-A-V-U. And send that to uh, 63975. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard. So Patty, today I want to talk about um, one of the biggest opportunities that I see going into uh, next year, 2022. Um, in a podcast we have coming up here in a few weeks, we're going to be talking about um, selling cash discounting to restaurants, which is my number one. You're going to be talking about selling B2B uh, payments, right. which is uh, you know number two on my list. Um, right in there with that B2B number two or three on my list um, uh-huh. is selling cash discounting or even surcharging, which is actually a really good option in this case, to card not present merchants. Now, when I bring this up, the actual opportunity here is for agents and ISOs to figure out how to prospect card not present merchants. Right. Um, They just have not figured it out. And it's interesting to me. It's ironic in a way because this is such a wide open market and without getting specific or naming names and consulting clients, I mean, I know of several massive companies that have grown exponentially over the last four years that are focused on this vertical within with all inbound marketing type of approach and uh-huh. W2 inside salespeople. And really their success you know, of course, attributed to them doing a fantastic job um, operationally and everything else. But also in a way, it's because the independent sales agents and ISOs have not gone onto that field to compete. Right, right. And those that have are approaching it with really more of a referral type of um, Mm -hmm. approach, which is fine. If it's working for you, great. But But, but part of this is also because these guys are so used to, you know, hitting the pavement and going yes. door to door. It's such yes. a, it's so much different than yes. going door to door. Well, and what, what's so interesting to me, it just really blows me away is a lot of these ISOs that have pretty well organized 1099 or even W2 sales teams, mm-hmm. they have lead generation efforts, you know? Yeah. Right. Telemarketers, things like this, um, mailers, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They intentionally exclude business types that are card not present. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, which is like, why? Why on earth would you do that? Especially it's like, given how much volume's going into the card not right. present market right now. Well, and especially considering the level of competition, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, hey, we have telemarketers. We're going to have them call all of the retail, you know, locations in a certain area and all the auto repair shops and pizza shops to sell them cash discounting or whatever. And we definitely don't want to call plumbers, home services, uh, you know, anything like that. And I'm like, why? Because nobody else is calling them. You don't want to call them. You'd rather right. reach out to the retail store that got called 17 times in the last week about payment processing. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we thinking? So um, I think that where this really stems to is that the concern 
is that the salespeople don't know how to sell card not present merchants. And I actually think that in this case, it's a bit of an unfounded concern. Yeah, I would think so. The only real difference here, and I, and I think one of the big concerns is this idea of, of technology integration. And, and the, the concept is sure. that, well, all card not present merchants need a very in-depth, you know, shopping cart or, or gateway API integration to their software. And right, right. that's not the case at all. You know, earlier in the episode, we talked to, to Caleb Avery, who is going after those types of accounts, right? Those are ISVs. Those are software companies. Right. When I'm talking about a card not present merchant, most of them right now that, that are not already with one of your big competitors that's, that's offering good services, most of them are doing one of two things, maybe three. But number one on the list is most of them are using a square reader. Right. And they're typing in the numbers over the phone when they get called. Mm -hmm. I honestly think that's like the number one. As I talk to card not present merchants, you know, it's literally I, like, can you email me your card number and expiration date so I can type it into my square on my phone? And I'm like, no. <laughs> right. I know. I will I not do at, that. I was at a, a friend who's a plumber the other day and I was watching him, you know, just, okay. And can you give me the number on the back too? And I'm like, He's just using this little square thing and he's just keying everything right. in. And, and that's, like, that's like the most popular thing. Sure. Um, then, then you have the next most popular one, which is a Verifone terminal that's really should have already been replaced three years ago. Right. It's right. sitting on their counter. And whenever right. they randomly get a card payment, they key it in there. They discourage right. it. They don't, they try not to get card payments because it's so inconvenient to accept them, you know? Right. Or number three, they have a gateway that they use, you know, a legacy gateway, uh, you know, authorized.net, whatever it is. And they're not tied to that gateway. They probably don't even, you know, they may or may not even like it. it they, it's not like they're using all the functionality of it. They're just putting in card holder information. So, right. you know, it's, you know, going with a very simple gateway solution, you need to make sure your agents have a very simple gateway solution and all they need to be able to understand how to do in that gateway is the process of payment. Like, right. Run a test transaction. Like they already know how to do in a terminal. Every one of your agents should have at some point in their payments career run a test transaction in, in, in a, a virtual terminal. Right. Like if they haven't, then, then they've been on Mars for the last five years. Right. And I really think a lot of them haven't. And once they do that, they are ready to sell card not present merchants because that's all those card not present merchants want to do. You know, yep. now moving beyond that, of course, you can show them how to hopefully do email invoices, which their customers will love, you know, right, and that's right. a big plus. And that's about it. You right. really don't need to go any further than that. Now, the other, you know, issue with card not present merchants for years has been a perception among agents and ISOs that I've spoken with that card not present merchants are more sensitive to price with, you know, processing fees because their transaction sizes are often very large and they don't want to spend 40 or $50 every time they run a transaction. Um, number one, I would say that is not true, actually. So most car, I did a lot of card not present, even back before we had anything going on with surcharging or whatever. But the truth is most of these card not present merchants are spending a fortune waiting to get paid mm -hmm. if they run larger yeah. transactions. Or if they're running smaller transactions, they're spending a fortune on payroll and time and inconvenience to type in transactions every month and run them manually and they don't have subscriptions set up, you know? So there is a very clear and obvious offset 
And they're generally very open to these conversations, right? So then you layer on top of that surcharging, um, which is actually really good for card not present because um, one thing that you will find is, and I think this trend will change over time, but right now consumers are uh, much more likely to get upset about cash discounting with large card not present transactions. Um, yeah, I could see that. I know people that are doing it successfully, but again, um, you know, you're running a $2,000, $5,000. You know, I just got my pool. Uh, we had to get a new pool pump and heater and all this stuff. And it was like, you know, $8,000 or something. So, you know, for me to run that transaction, it's like, well, there's going to be an extra, you know, whatever, $180 or $250 fee to run it as a card. That's a lot, you know? Right. And so surcharging is actually positioned really well here to be able to say, well, just use your debit card, call your bank, get them to raise your limit temporarily and run it with your debit card. That's fine. Or offer ACH, you know? Right. So that's they can, what I was going to say. Right. Yeah. So they can offer multiple options here. And in this particular case, that can actually be a, a plus. So I'm not against cash discounting. I think if you're going to do it as a quote unquote cash discount, you should provide an ACH option as cash. Right. That's what cash I would do. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So you can do that. Or again, do compliance surcharging. Well, avoid all the compliance headaches. Avoid and Avoid all the headaches. Yeah. And right. it's fine. So, and again, there's plenty of good technology out there now. I know like probably four different processing companies and I know technology companies that are processor agnostic that offer really good surcharging where it recognizes what it is. It's super easy in a gateway because it's, it's virtual terminal. You can just pop up and show the consumer what they're going to pay, you know, right. it's really, really easy. So um, all that to say, you know, this is another one of these big opportunities. And what I think is, is, you know, my mission in, in life and through the CC sales pro company here, our mission at our company has, has been keeping merchant sales competitive. Right. So right. what I'm always on the, my alerts go off when I see opportunities that are going to go to all the big pay facts and the ISVs and everybody else. And I consult for a lot of these companies, you know, I want them to win, but I want to, I want to make sure that, that the, individual agents and ISOs are not caught flat footed and they're not blindsided by these trends, you know, in case you haven't noticed retail and restaurants not doing great right now, right. you know, the right. independent owners, Amazon and Walmart are doing fantastic, but mm -hmm. small business owners are not doing that good right now. And so, you know, if you're like looking to future proof your portfolio, you need to understand how to go after card, not present. And um, I think we have just dramatically overcomplicated this concept. So mm -hmm. what I would really encourage everybody to think about as you go into 2022, these last few episodes, I really want to try to um, talk about some things that can help you go into next year. Right. As you go into next year, think about card not present. Now, don't think about a room full of computer programmers. Think about a, a group of plumbers. Right. Right. Think about lawn care professionals, electricians, um, you know, home services, right? I just had a new for a new uh, boiler for my furnace put in. Somebody like that, I asked them, "Oh, how am I going to get?" My, well, we'll mail you a bill, and you can yeah. send us a check. I'm like, are you crazy? Right, and it's like you know, that's just insane. You know that they would do that rather than saying, "Give us your email address, we'll email you a link." You click it, you can pay with either ACH or card. Right, right. You know, we have three different you know things you can do. You know, you can do credit card, you can do a debit card for free or ACH for free, you know, or, or you right. can do credit or debit, which has a fee or ACH for free, you know, whatever. Right. Setting that up, like in case you have been living under a rock and you didn't realize it, it's not hard to set that up anymore. It's super yeah. easy to set that up for people. Let them know, look, you know, there's no fees at all. So 
you're not going to pay anything, or maybe you're only going to pay fees on debit and ACH or whatever. So the investment for them is going to be very minimal. Sorry about that. Oh, look at that. My wife calling. But uh, it's going to be very minimal, the fees, and they can implement this. This is not hard. And they can train their sales team to be able to implement it as well. And then the, then the issue becomes prospecting, right? That's the crux of it. How are you going to prospect? And this is my challenge to the individual agents out there. Listen, like if you said, I am going to prospect five card not present merchants every day, right? I'm going to figure it out. Right. You would figure it out by the end of the day. Of course. It's not hard. Like go buy a list of all of this. Like the list that do you would a, normally. Do a Google search for your, yes. re, you know, for your own, you know, I live in Frederick. Plumbers in Frederick County, Maryland. Exactly. That's, or, that's all the prospecting. For some of these agents and ISOs, think of all the lists that you've bought in the past, all the SIC codes that you've excluded. Right. Now we include them. them. And exclude the other ones. Like, <laughs> right. And then hit download. Like that's literally all you have to do. They're right there. It's not right. like it's like super difficult to do this. So right. anyway, um, start prospecting card, not present. Think about that going into next year. And I promise you, you're not going to regret it at the end of the year. If you get a, even one a day, you know, I'm going to reach out to one card, not present merchant every day, five days a week, five hey, minutes a day. Year, that's going to be 250 businesses. I guarantee you're going to sell 30 of them, you know, and right. all of a sudden you've got 30 card not present merchants that have a generally pretty high volume, high average ticket sizes, and they're going to be sticky and they're going to stay with you for a really, really long time. So there you go. There's your challenge for the day. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Well, James, you know, there's a law, a law firm that has won numerous suits total in the last few years, totaling about $100 million um, in settlements against uh, payment processing firms. is taking on priority payments. Mm-hmm. I saw uh, this. Priorities yeah. based in Georgia. They claim they have about 200,000 merchants. Uh, plaintiffs named in the suit include a Miami-based hair salon and two fencing companies based in Hawaii. At least they have agents in really cool places. Yes, that's good. That's good. <laughs> so uh, attorneys have filed a motion uh, in November um, in a court in Georgia seeking class action status. The lawsuit slams priority for its, quote, improper sales and contracting scheme and for the additional unfair, unlawful, and fraudulent billing and asserts that, quote, such conduct breaches priorities contracts or implied contracts with merchants. Now, as an example, the lawsuit claims that agents tell merchants that fees will be limited to a low flat rate percentage of volume processed and that no fees will accrue if the account isn't used. But, of course, that doesn't happen. Uh, And the lawyers say uh, priority knows at the time of enrollment that these additional fees will be charged, but deliberately misrepresents, obscures, and hides such critical information from merchants. Uh, And then once enrolled... Merchants are buried with, quote, unanticipated, improper and excessive fees. Yeah. So I think, too, it'd be interesting here at the outset to give a little context to our audience about how this all works. So right. uh, obviously, we should state, number one, we are not saying that we agree or disagree that these or things disagree. are occurring. <laughs> We're letting you know this is happening. You know that people are out there trying to do this. Uh, yes. Trying um, to take um, 
you know, file motions against this in court. Yes. Yes. And so the idea here is obviously with companies like Priority, which is representative of many other companies, they are using 1099 contractors. They right. are not monitoring what these contractors are saying to merchants. Right. Therefore, there will, of course, be some percentage of the time that they are saying things that are inaccurate or outright lies. Um, and that that happens. Right. So this company has a history. Do you know the names of any of the other companies? I can't remember off the top of my head of other ones that they've sued and been successful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, they've sued uh, Mercury Payments. Yes. Uh, Merchant Choice, Wells Fargo and PNC. Yes. So and they've been successful with all but I think two. Actually, all four of those they've been successful. Right, but I'm, then I think there was two others where they, two were, others unsuccessful. That they were unsuccessful. With, and, yes. and so, and so the idea here, the way that this works is, they are going to get class action lawsuit status, which means they're suing on behalf of all two hundred thousand priority payments merchants. Right. So it's kind of like they go to priority and say, "What's the total damage that you caused to all two hundred thousand of these merchants?" Which, of course, is an unanswerable question. They, you know, this is going to be a massive amount. And so then they will negotiate the settlement amount and this law firm will take a hefty 20, 30, who knows what percentage cut, cut. Yep. and they will take a big cut. And then the remaining amount, they'll reach out to all 200,000 merchants and say, Hey, you won this class action lawsuit. You didn't even realize that you were engaged in. If you would like your piece, <laughs> yes. If you would like your piece of this $70 million settlement, reach out and we will split it evenly amongst those merchants who uh, reach out. So it's a uh, it's an interesting thing. I think it. Um, well, anyway, I'll let you continue. I think you have more. Yeah, than just I'll, let I'll me. You know, because because so, yeah. one thing that I thought was interesting in this particular lawsuit that I hadn't necessarily seen before is all about the um, merchant agreement. Yes. Okay. And um, that you know it says here that you know basically it purports to um, bind the merchant into a long term contract with more than forty pages of boilerplate fine print. Right. But neither priority nor its sponsor, which is Wells, accept the agreements by signing them, which they maintain is an express condition, you know, that has to precede any kind of contract formation. And I thought that was an interesting point. Yeah, I saw basically, that too. you know, right? I mean, mm. he's got a point there. <laughs> yeah. You know? Maybe. I, I mean, I wonder. It's like, to me, I was like, well, how does he know that they don't sign it? Because when he looks at the agreements, there's no signature. Oh, no, I see. No so they're saying they, he, they're reaching out to the processor saying, give us a copy of our original agreement and it's unsigned. And it's unsigned. Okay. The only, per only person who signed it was the merchant. Mm. And, you know, he, he's claiming that this puts, puts the merchants in a, you know, quote, state of contractual limbo. Um, mm. And, um, but anyway, they, they're looking for class action. I just thought this was really interesting. So I, you know, I get news feeds from all over and legal news feeds I get if it has anything to yeah. do with payments. Right. And so this was one of the law firm uh, websites that I took it from. And I, I love this quote because, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, well, let me just say it. these companies quote, these companies come in promising merchants the moon with all these extras and then lock them into contracts that weren't what they signed up for. It's fertile ground for little litigation. Yeah. Which, which he knows well. <laughs> yes. After all of the money that's been made. I mean, they probably made 30 million already on what they've Easily, done. Cause so. I mean, what they're talking, I mean, these four lawsuits that, that they won add up to about $110 million. Yeah. 30% cut of that is, you know, over 30 million. Right. Right. Plus yeah. probably, probably plus legal fees, et cetera, et cetera. So, right. Yeah. But you know, I think that what 
it kind of reminds me, and, and, and of course I'm not a lawyer, and this is not a legal opinion, but it kind of reminds me of old-fashioned ambulance chasers. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yes. um, and with all of the hoopla over over fees and everything, you know, I think it is fertile ground for lawyers. And, and yes. you know, I think that um, we're going to see, I think this really, to me, this just calls for so much, It's it's like a, a call out. It's time to be more transparent. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it also is interesting because it just kind of calls into question some of the issues that exist with, um, you know, 1099 agents and, right. you know, yeah, we've talked a lot about that. Yeah. And I, this one will be very interesting because when you look at the other four that they've won, none of those four, to my knowledge, were primarily using the 1099 and independent ISO type of model. Right. Um, they were using, you know, Mercury was mainly going after ISVs early on and POS providers and, you know, it's, and, and uh, some of the others had W2 sales forces and things of that nature. So this is the, the, what's unique about this one is this is the first time they've gone after a company that would be largely representative of our audience. Right. And I think if they win this lawsuit, which is no sure thing, but if they were to win it, I do think it would cause a lot of other processing companies to really take note of that. Mm-hmm. And to say, well, wait a second here. If we're financially liable for the promises our 1099 agents make. Maybe they should be W-2s. Right. And one of the other things I thought of as well, and not to like alarm anybody that sells for priority, because I, who, again, who knows how this will shape, shape up. But I mean, it's like, what does that mean in terms of the agent residual contracts? You know, like, is this going to affect, you know, are they going to try to take some of this from ISOs and agents and partners that. Right. Sure. You know, the, right. let's say that they end up getting a settlement for $20 million. Well, that $20 million, you know, most of, you know, the, the lion's share of the profit was already paid out to partners who are contractually obligated to offset any negatives. Right. And so will that affect in that way? So I think it's a very interesting one to follow just because, again, it's the first time this has happened, to my knowledge, in a big way to a large company that's almost entirely 1099 and independent ISO driven, which is our audience. It'll be interesting to see how it, how it turns out. Yeah, I'll definitely be following. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.